0: Alright, yeah, hello, 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 and welcome back to the Tango Alpha Lima Podcast. I am your host, Mark Seavey. As always, I am joined by my two co-hosts, Jeff Daly from Hollywood, California. Hello, Jeff. And Ashley Gorbolja Moldonado, whose name I have continued to pronounce correctly, which I think should earn me like some, a Bravo Zulu award or something of that nature. A grilled cheese sandwich, which I did just get delivered. If you happen to be watching our last podcast, you'll know that. Uh, and we are joined by a very special guest today who uh, makes us uh, all feel pretty humble about our academic achievements, but Mr. Kermit Jones, Dr. Kermit Jones, MD and Juris Doctorate as well. He's a primary care physician, lawyer, and healthcare policy advisor who has provided care in multiple settings, include uh, including over, uh, underserved communities, military personnel, and overseas in India and the Middle East. He's uh, also a member of the California Bar Association. Prior to his current practice, he worked as an FDA regulatory and patent attorney uh, at a boutique Washington, D.C. law firm. He served as a White House fellow from 2012 to 2013, where he worked with the Department of Defense and health educators on military medical issues. Uh, before his government service, he was served as a Navy casualty evacuation doctor with a Marine helicopter squadron at Camp Pendleton, California, and then later in Al Province in 2008. Great time to be there. I'm sure that was quite the vacation. Uh, and here's where it gets. He earned his medical and law degrees, both from Duke University. He earned a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering for Georgia Tech and a Chemistry degree from Clark Atlanta University. He's written articles and given lectures on domestic and foreign policy, uh, as well as our need to transition to a proactive healthcare system. I, I don't know how. I, once I finished law school, I resolved to never step foot in a classroom setting again. So congratulations to you. I don't know how you did it, but you obviously have a great deal more patience than I do. So, sir, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you okay. so much, Mark. I appreciate it. Uh, first thing I'd like to say is thank you for reading all of that verbiage. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the the only thing I would say is if my dad were sitting here with us, he'd be like, look, I told that kid to leave school 10 years before that and get a real job. Yeah. Um, but apparently I just like to stick my heads in the books, and that's what I've been doing ever since. So thanks for having me on the show. I, I'm, I, I truly feel honored to be here. Um, the American Legion has done such phenomenal things for veterans. Uh, you know, as a nonpartisan organization, and just even, you know, reading the history of it, you know, I wasn't aware that it was uh, instrumental in getting the GI Bill passed, uh, as well as instrumental in getting uh, a Department of Veteran Affairs. So uh, hats off to everyone who's who's dedicated their lives uh, and careers to this organization and serving veterans. So thank you for having me.
0: Appreciate it. All right. Uh, Jeff, I, I believe I said you would get the first hack at Dr. Dr. Jones today.
2: You did, and uh, since I'm first, I'm gonna go a little easier on him, because apparently he's a person who does not have a lot of goals or ambition in life. <laughs> so <laughs> I, it's it's amazing. One thing we didn't say is that you also speak four freaking languages. Yeah, um, which is amazing. I'm still working on the first, by the way, but you know I have aspirations. Good effort. And uh, I I was taken also by the fact that I was. I saw Marine Helicopter Squadron and I thought I had a fellow EGNA here, but you're in the Navy. But since you saved Marines, I still got some Simplify love for you there. Fi,
0: so, yeah. <laughs> did, did you notice like... he did not list Marine as one of the languages he speaks, though? I know. <laughs> and that's the, what it was I'm a glaring, about. Oversight, glaring I,
1: oversight. I, I keep <laughs> tripping over Devil Dog. I, I just haven't gotten through it yet, but I'm working on it. <laughs>
2: All you right, wounded Okay, <laughs> so my 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 question, my first, my I want to say that I'm super excited that uh, all of these skills are you're bringing them to the American Legion, and I had seen that you had had done some some work in training uh, legionnaires on things regarding COVID. Do you want to uh, talk about? Do you want to give some advice about uh, COVID things to the entire American Legion veteran community, which we have uh, an infinitely small percentage of <laughs> listening to you right now? and But maybe they'll spread the word. So if you have some advice, we'd love to hear it.
1: Yeah. No, thanks for that. In God. two really languages. <laughs> Yeah. So okay. So do you want me to start in English? Or do you want me to start in Urdu? I mean, it's yeah, yeah. fine. You know, Talk because to if you Urdu. have ones that speak in Urdu, then we can go right ahead. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and I can joke about that in a little bit. But no, you know, I would say the advice that I would give on COVID is, you know, it's a, it's a very unpredictable disease that we're just learning about. You know, I just listened to uh, a podcast recently that was talking about how it seems as if even though our numbers are going up uh nationally and as you're probably aware, it's coming going up in very rural areas right now, South Dakota, North Dakota, Montana, these places where they naturally socially distance, which you know makes that kind of odd. Um it seems as if the number of people that are dying seems to be less right now. I mean I don't want to speak as if we know so much about whether there've been uh you know changes in the ability for it to kill people or not, but you know, a lot of what we were basing our assumptions on initially was the reports that were coming out of New York or coming out of Italy. And you know, we're still trying to figure out, you know, whether that's the case. I think the nugget of advice that I would give people, you know, because this is part of what I used to do as a Navy doctor with the Marines, um, is to take it seriously. Um, And I say that from the standpoint of right now, we're getting a lot of fatigue, right? I mean, I get it. You know, we are a country of, you know, rights and the Bill of Rights and Constitution. Uh, and that may make us a little different from some of the South Asian countries that, you know, may have a different government structure and a different societal structure. So people are kind of wondering, hey, you know, how did they get, you know, on board with certain things a lot faster than we did? Um, and I think for us, we're going through this fatigue phase. And it's also going to switch into the winter, where um, people are like, look, I'm I'm tired of not being able to go into restaurants. And I'm tired of not being able to see my family. Um, but, you know, the, the reality is, this thing can hit you pretty hard. Um, so just to try to, you know, continue with those things that are a bit of a pain in the butt, you know, until we get to the vaccine phase. Uh, and the second piece of advice I would give people is, um, have a very serious conversation about or with your healthcare providers about the vaccine. You know, a lot of the studies that I've seen, uh, surprisingly, up to 40% of people are saying they would not get the vaccine for various reasons. Uh, And I have this issue with the flu vaccine every single year, Um, but this is one thing where we don't have a lot of channels out of this pandemic. Um, I think a viable vaccine will be probably the only way we get out uh, to a point where maybe in late 2021, we're starting to return to some sense of normal.
3: Mm -hmm. I said late 2021.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's not going to be earlier than that because the reality is the first people that are going to be vaccinated are going to be healthcare workers, essential workers. Uh, and one study I saw the CDC say, best case scenario is we could vaccinate one to 2 million people a day. We have over 300 million people in this country. So, you know, if we assume that we get a vaccine by February, you know, you can just, you know, you can do the math that, you know, you were taught how to do in fifth grade, right? I mean, that's going to take you all the way to the end of next year before we get enough people vaccinated to get herd immunity.
2: Wow. So I'm looking at I'm looking at a second COVID birthday, which I'm not super excited about in May. Um, I'll probably have a zo- I'll probably have an online meeting with these two jokers, and uh, I'll dedicate a piece of cake to them, but I won't share it with them.
0: The, so, the plus side uh, of having a second COVID birthday is living to your second COVID birthday. So yeah, I, like true the true. alternative is not spectacular. That's true. So I guess
2: I'm not guaranteed that second COVID birthday, but uh, here's hoping. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> and you, what did you say when? Because you, and I'm going to point out that we're both uh, Michigan people. You're from South Haven, yes. right? South Haven. I'm from Kalamazoo. I'm from Kalamazoo. You were my beach town when uh, growing up. That's where we. That's where we went to
0: go to the beach. Well, uh, you don't, are big, you Don't are start big cutting into my. Don't answer that, sir. I know where you're going, and you're what? not going to ruin Michigan. my question. I'm. It's well a prepared- question. I know where he's going to go with it. All right, fine, ruined my question. Go ahead, Dr. Jones. I bet he doesn't. Why?
1: I was just going to say, and I probably don't know what you're going to say, but I was going to say that Kalamazoo was considered our big city. We were excited Mm. going to the city in Kalamazoo, which was like a 30-mile drive up uh, Blue Star up, uh, I think it was Highway 41. M43. 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 Yep, M43. All right,
0: good. You did not impact my question. See? For once, for once, he didn't ruin it. He, Jeff ruins everything he touches. He's like,
3: That's usually where I do a lot of eye rolls.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right, Ashley, you are up with the second question.
3: Okay. So, my second question is in regards to misconceptions about COVID and kind of pulling back some of the layers of misinformation. And I wanted to kind of get your opinion, Dr. Jones, on some of the posts that you've visited and how there's been like different responses and how you go about kind of, you know, here are the facts, here's how we pull away and how, like, what's your process for like educating folks that you've, you've come in contact with?
1: Yeah. So thanks for that question, Ashley. I mean, so I start with trying to understand, um, or come from a place of empathy. Uh, you know, there is a lot of misinformation about everything, you know, you know, we've become, you know, more distrustful as a society and more political. Um, and that's, you know, that's unfortunate. But I would say that the reality from what i've seen in terms of you know new New England Journal of Medicine articles and JAMA and these other sources that doctors get their information is you know it is uh, a disease that the majority of people make it through um, you know either one with mild uh, symptoms or um, end up hospitalized and come back out i mean that that's true you know even if you were let's say your average risk person in their forties and fifties you know, probably, you know, 98, 99% of those people are going to come through it just fine. Um, But the reality is for that, you know, one to 2% of people that don't, you know, that make up the 220,000 people that we know have died of COVID and some estimates saying there may be even higher amounts, it's a different situation. Uh, For two, there's a huge mental health component to this, which I think is not really uh, born out so much. Um, and I've seen it in my patients, unfortunately. Um, you know, I'll tell you two quick, um, scenarios. One, you know, I've had a lot of patients because of the social distancing that have either, you know, gained weight, you know, strained relationships. They haven't been able to see, especially if they're older population, they haven't been able to see their, their grandchildren. Uh, and there's a psychological component to that. Um, or, uh, what I tell people, the rest of healthcare continues. Which, what I mean by that is, I've unfortunately had, and it's not so much now, patients that have avoided the healthcare system because of mm-hmm. fear of COVID. Um, so, you know, I had a lady who uh, had um, had a couple of wounds um, that uh, she sustained, and then she called the office the next day and said, Hey, you know, I want to get these wounds sutured up. You know, and anyone in healthcare would tell you, Well, if they're not sutured in the first six hours, then, you know, would be suturing infection infected tissue into the wound, so we can't do that for one. And she's telling me that she's having fevers and these other types of things. And I was telling her, look, you you probably, you know, the infection is probably in your blood at this point. We need to have you come in. And she said, well, I didn't come in the day before yesterday because I was afraid of getting COVID. And, you know, and I just wow. had to educate her and say, look, your risk of dying of sepsis is probably 100 times higher than your risk of dying of COVID right now. Um, and so, Part of what I do is, like I said, come from a position of empathy, just kind of explain what we're taught uh, and the facts, and then try to assure people that if they get those other things treated, they'll lower their overall risk of death uh, as opposed to just their specific death risk from COVID.
3: Thank you. Now, that's that's very, very important. And I appreciate you, you know, being both empathetic and, you know, uh, applying it to everyone's unique situation and making sure that folks understand that, like, everyone is, like, we're here to help, right? Yeah. So very, very nice. Thank you.
0: Well, I was going to go with uh, you know, sort of the complacency kills and talk about herd immunity and everything else, but uh, I, I read the letter that you sent to the American Legion headquarters, and in it you mentioned one of my favorite people in the entire world who apparently was one of your high school coaches for baseball or one of your high school teachers from South Haven, Uh Medal of honor winner
1: that. james McLuhan. Yeah. yeah 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 i you know well first i i'd have to credit him with a lot you know beyond just the service he did uh for our country he's the reason that i'm having this conversation um with you fine people today because he's the reason i joined the american legion um because uh when i went back home to see my folks in 2017 um and was at the post office mailing something uh someone there knew i was in the military and said hey you know uh, James McLuhan is, is getting honored by the American Legion um, at the post right down the street. You know, if you want to check it out. And I said, of course, I want to check it out. You know, he was uh, a social studies teacher um, for us uh, at South Haven High School and is probably the most famous person to come out of Bangor and South Haven High School, um, at least in the last half century. Um, but the the story I like to tell, in addition to you know, his selflessness uh, and service to our country, was that um, When my brother was in high school uh which was uh, four years before me and this was in the mid i think late 1980s uh was an incident unfortunately this was one of the ones where uh it was a lot rarer to see a fight break out in school where someone pulls a gun you know whereas like i said today i think that would not be an uncommon occurrence unfortunately um but this was an occurrence where one kid uh, pulled out a gun in the in the the hallway uh against another kid and James McLuhan um, continued to do his service. um, And he was also, he was the wrestling coach at our high school as well, and came up behind this kid and wrestled him down, you know, and probably saved, uh, you know, some people's lives that day as well. Uh, And so this was someone who at that time was probably in his late forties and still, uh, you know, protecting and saving people like he did in Vietnam. And so, you know, when I knew that he was getting honored uh, by the American Legion and I went to that ceremony, um, I think within a week or so, I, I sent off my application to the American Legion.
0: Yeah, that's great. I uh, <clears throat> I met him about a year ago now at another Medal of Honor recipient's uh, banquet, and I happened to sit next to him on the bus on the ride to the White House. And I knew he had been an American Legion baseball coach, and I knew he had been a high school teacher, and I got to talk to him. One of the absolute nicest people you'll ever meet. And I don't mean just like nice, like as a Medal of Honor recipient, he's a badass, but he's also a nice guy. I mean, he is literally one of the nicest people I've ever met. He could not have been kinder. He, he's just so down to earth and such a wonderful human. As soon as I saw his name, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I know where I'm going with this. So. But oh, yeah. He that, sings
1: too. Like he, he sings that, that <laughs> American song. It's, that's what I said. He has. It's kind of hilarious. It's, and he has a nice voice too. Yeah. it's kind of amazing.
0: Yeah, he and he did. He did sing at, uh, at David Bellavia's Medal of Honor. I can't remember what the context was, but I think he's saying "Oh Danny Boy" if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but yeah, he uh, he is. He's a very special individual, and we're really glad. You know, f- from the American Legion headquarters, it's always nice to hear someone's entrance to the Legion being an actual thing we were doing in the community so could not be happier to hear that all right we will take a commercial break and we'll be back with you in just a minute did you know the american legion magazine is the most frequently read periodical in the nation true story find out why by joining today at legion.org forward slash joins And we are back with Dr. Kermit Jones, MD, uh, and uh, Juris Doctorate, and Jeff, you are up for round two, my friend. I think you were having audio problems. Are we back? Are you ready to uh, ask your question? I'm good. You can hear me, Oh, right. okay. Oh, I saw you yeah. switching headphones. He was, I was speechless, like, oh, okay.
3: which <laughs> is a rare occurrence.
0: So, so seldom happens.
2: You see, do you see what happens to me here, Jeff? Just- from being the chief awesome officer of this organization. Um, oh. All right, so. <laughs> sounds, I was, like,
1: was going to say, it sounds like they're treating you like it used to be in the Marines, pretty much, right?
2: Yeah. Except yeah, they're not Marines. Terrible. So it's insulting. <laughs> um, so um, I'm going to do a quick comment, because we talk a lot about membership and uh, how we're growing our membership goals here. And your story of membership is, uh, is a good one to me because I always, I always preach that it's about doing things um, and, and, and just kind of being out there and being visible. And I'm certainly glad that uh, that post was out there and visible to you and that you went and experienced it and now you're bringing that uh, kind of thing back which is not a question at all so i will move on so my next question is you've been bringing this wisdom to the american to american legion members and i'm wondering now if you can speak to and i don't know if it's appropriate or not but you know in recent times the military the DOD has banned anyone who has had has ever had covid from being in the military. Now, is, wow. is that, what is that from, and I, it, I mean, they say now that it's a, it's a indefinite ban. They didn't say forever. I think the word was indefinite. Um, is that just, what would be a medical rationale for if I had COVID in March and next year I wanted to join the military? Is there a medical reason for me not to be able to do that?
1: to be honest with you, not one I can think of, um, you know, I think kind of going back to what I said before, even though we are learning more and more about this illness and I'm sure, uh, you all had heard that there were some, um, young athletes that had some inflammation around their heart, you know, some myositis and, and stuff like that. Um, even with those types of things, there are other viruses that cause myositis. So, and many, many times people will get that and recover from it just fine. Their heart function uh, will be back to where it was. Um, so, you know, I can't think from a physiological standpoint. You know, given the fact that I was a flight surgeon at some point, uh, you know, or I did physical exams for a lot of active duty you know, Marines and other um, service members, that you know, from a readiness standpoint, if they've completely recovered, um, they're able to pass the physical standards, um, and there's no signs of their not being able to do the job. Um, that they would have a permanent ban. Yeah, I'm assuming that that would be something that'll be revisited because, you know, I I think one of the issues that had come up some years back, and and I'm sure you've heard this in the news, was, you know, we had some recruitment issues in the military writ large, right? Because Mm -hmm. just the general population uh, wasn't as healthy, you know, from obesity and other types of chronic diseases um, as they had been, you know, in decades past. So, you know, I think if you start banning people, especially given the fact that, you know, we're well into eight or nine million people that have been infected with COVID uh, in the United States. And in some aspects, they say from antibody tests that may be a significantly lower number. Um, you're talking about large numbers of people that would not be able to uh, serve our country um, in, in one of the most meaningful ways that you can.
2: And then, my I had a related uh, follow up. Um, you talked earlier about that uh, we know a, we we're just learning some things. And uh, I, read, I read some things that suggest that, uh, especially when people try to minimize the effect of COVID um, with numbers compared to other diseases or other means of death. But one of the things that, we, that I read about are the potential for long-term uh, damage to lungs, uh, potentially other organs, and things like, uh, and things like that. And maybe that kind of feeds into the fear of the military is uh, you get somebody in and then five, six years down the road, we don't know what's going to happen. And uh, they could potentially not be fit to serve uh, down the road. So do are you reading things about long-term and granted it's, we haven't had it around long term, so there's going to be nothing conclusive. But are you are you hearing or reading any theories about that?
1: Well, I think one of the challenges with, with COVID and maybe other SARS-type viruses is because it triggers in people that have some of the worst uh, responses to it uh, an uncontrolled or unchecked inflammatory response. Uh, and so part of what that does is that, you know, triggers uh, blood clots that people will sometimes have, the myositis that I talked about before in the heart, uh, lung issues. And as someone progresses further down the spectrum of um, illness, you know, if someone unfortunately, you know, becomes intubated, you know, where they put a tube in your throat to help you breathe, you know, that causes other problems to the lungs. So, I mean, I think those types of people, you can uh, draw analogies from other diseases and say, yes, it's likely that they're going to have long-term effects. But again, kind of going back to those um, people that have barely any symptoms, um, you know, which is, I think, a large cohort of people with this, especially the younger population, uh, it's not only, I think, too early to tell, but, you know, I I think if you look at other diseases that may cause um, similar uh, types of uh, ailments, it's just, it it may not be likely that that's going to be the case over... 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. So it, like I said, it's, I think it's, it's too broad a spectrum of disease presentations for us to have a good handle in terms of what's likely going to happen. So maybe the the DOD is just saying, hey, we'd rather err on the side of caution. But I still say, you know, I assume that they'll revisit this sometime down the road.
3: Ashley, you are up. So, Dr. Jones, I just read earlier today that uh, the CDC, and I guess it was kind of like a, it was a fun title, but it was was saying that the CDC is giving, um, you know, obviously like low risk uh, recommendations and pretty much saying like, giving us an excuse to cancel Thanksgiving. I don't know if you're a Thanksgiving man or not, uh, but I just, I, I thought it was kind of clever. I thought it was, I thought it was a clever article, especially to get kind of folks to read it. Um, it had some sound stuff in there and leads into my question. You know, everything has really changed for a lot of people from a sociocultural perspective, from a work environment. And I wanted to kind of uh, like pick your brain as to how you think, between the healthcare uh, deliver or delivering healthcare to, you know, some of the other at large workforce, um, like h- how do you think everything's going to change?
1: Yeah, you know, this kind of points to some other conversations uh, that I'm beginning to have with people in the policy world. I mean, that was one of the reasons that I got a law degree. You know, not because. Like I said, I, I just love to take on more debt in school and stuff like that. But um, because I, I had a mentor at one point who told me, look, you know, healthcare is changing. It's not run by just physicians anymore. You know, in order to really be an influential voice, you're either going to have to get, you know, a business degree, you're going to have to get a law degree. Um, and I figured, well, uh, I'll go the law school route because I don't think I could, you know, learn constitutional law over a YouTube. Video or something like that, right? So, you know, part of the conversations that I have um, when it comes to the policy realm is, you know, what are, you know, how do we game out, like we do, you know, in the military, uh, what the the changes will be in the healthcare world, and not all of those are dire. You know, I, you know, I, you hear a lot of these conversations about the negative effects that COVID is having on society and the changes. Some of those changes are not necessarily negative. I mean, like if you look. At the you know housing prices in in the Bay Area and California, they're going down. Why are they going down? Because a lot of the tech people are leaving. You know, um, you know commercial real estate prices are going down because people are doing more Zoom conversations, uh, meetings, and they are actually going. You know, at one point they said, you know, the carbon footprint of the world had decreased slightly uh, because people weren't moving as much. So in terms of healthcare, I think there are some positive things that may come out of this. You know, if you look at where we've gone over the last let's say 75 years we've gone to a point where we've concentrated health into these institutions you know you'll either go to a hospital or you'll go to a nursing home you know you'll go to these physical places to get your care and if you look at the price of healthcare you know it's steadily gone up over the last 40 to 50 years what covid has done is it's forced a lot of patients to reevaluate where they're going to get their care and it's, looked, it's, it's required at certain healthcare systems to become more innovative in terms of delivering care from home. Uh, Hopkins has a program that's been active for at least a decade called, uh, I think it's Hospital at Home or something similar to that, where they, um, over these telemedicine videos uh, and certain types of wearables and other devices, can treat you for similar ailments, heart failure, things like that, at home. It's reduced the cost by about 30 to 40 percent. Um, and it's also made people um, feel more comfortable because they're in their house as opposed to um, in a hospital. You know, we are a country that prides itself on competition. And I think, you know, having this type of um, competition within the healthcare care industry um, can result in lowering prices. Uh, and then also having competition in the, the nursing home space can result in situations where we have better regulations, um, to make it so that people aren't in nursing homes and you know getting illnesses that they would not have gotten had there been uh, better oversight, but then also making it so that people can get that same level of care at home, having caregivers that would be usually family members that wouldn't get paid to get reimbursed for mm-hmm. those types of things as well. So I think there are some positive changes in the healthcare system, ones that could lower price um, and more personalize people's care. Um, and so I'm looking forward to that.
3: Awesome. Thank you. I, I, uh, I don't know if, um, I just, this is really important to me. My background's in public health. Um, I have a master's in public health and I did a lot of research on health policy and community wellness. And, um, I've always been incredibly fascinated with both family structure, how we provide care, uh, community care models. And, um, I'm really happy to hear that you've been able to hunt the good stuff, uh, that'll come from this.
1: Yeah, that's, you know, just to kind of add one little extra section to that, that is uh, something I fervently believe in. I think we need more community-based care. I think there are a lot of people, you know, like I tell people the story of, you know, my mom who is um, being cared for at home, recovering from lung cancer, that but for us finding two very good caregivers for her at home, um, you know, she wouldn't be here two and a half years after her diagnosis. So trying to make it so that people can Get their care from home where they're most comfortable mm-hmm. is i think where we need to move as a healthcare system
3: awesome thank you
0: so <clears throat> one of the big things you talked about the mental health component and i know that for a lot of people on both ends of the spectrum for myself i have three little kids at home and social distancing to me is being able to go to work to get away from the kids and the wife non-stop and then there are people on the other side of the spectrum who are, you know, basically, this has forced them into complete shutdown mode, you know, where they're like in a unibomber shack somewhere just watching reruns on Netflix. I know for myself, when COVID actually hit, I was preparing to do a ruck marathon at the Boston Marathon with a rucksack. If I tried to, if I put the ruck on now and walked 15 feet down the road, somebody would have to dial 911. Like there's literally zero chance I would make it. But... What I really wanted to ask about was you had said earlier that there's a lot of bad information out there and 100% accurate. And the problem I that I see, too, is that there's so much other information that might be good, but it's like every day on Drudge or anywhere else, there's these new things. Like yesterday, I'm reading about that there might be a new breathalyzer test being made in Israel. But then you go deeper into like a CDC document and it's saying something different than what the who is and i think that kind of lends itself like obviously and i'm not going to go into the ethics of the british study where they're asking people to come in and get infected so they can see how it moves which is kind of an interesting thing but you know i think a lot of people when they're trying to get their quick fix on what's happening here and they see that cdc and the who can't even agree on simple measures on whether it's airborne or not or how long it stays on a playground metal rail or something. I think that the overload of this information is also kind of turned people off to the point where they're like, eh, why bother reading about it if it's just going to change tomorrow and the information's not going to be good. Do you see that happening too? And what are kind of, what do you see as our left and right limit moving forward? Like what's best case? What's worst case?
1: Yeah, no, I, I figured I'd get the hardest question from Mark. Um, you know, um, yeah, I think unfortunately we see that in healthcare too and I think this is a a byproduct of what you know all four of us uh in this conversation are familiar with because all four of us have been in the military. Yeah. Uh, you know which is a branch of government obviously. Um and so I've been taught and I think this is pretty true that you know any public sector entity especially let's say the government you know where you have elected officials they're always going to Excuse me, don't get me wrong, and I'm not saying this because you know they don't have you know the best knowledge or intentions, these other types of things, but they're always going to frame, I think, the conversations and the the data that they put out based upon at least in some component and what comes out on the paper the next day, you know what's what's seen in terms of um, positive versus negative. and so that's why I think governments in general, government organizations are always going to be excessively cautious uh, sometimes to the point in which I think they can be, um, uh, you know, overly cautious. So like he's, like yeah. you had mentioned, you know, are you going to get COVID from, you know, the playground three days after no one has touched it? You know, maybe, but you know, is, is it, is the probability there that you'd get there? Likely not, you know, you know, it's like I saw a study in which initially they said, you know, COVID could last on certain services for up to three days. And then you find out later, they're like, well, you know, they used artificial means to put so much COVID on that surface that there's no way humanly possible that you'd be able to get, you know, that level of COVID on one surface. So of course it's going to be there three days from now. Um, so I think there's that challenge of, you know, the government and these organizations similar to them that have a responsibility of putting out certain types of information is, Always going to try to put that information out in a way in which they will be as um, least wrong as possible. Mm-hmm. But then that's balanced against, I think, this environment that we're in where, I mean, if you look at during the Vietnam era, during um, uh, uh, Mr. McLuhan's era, you know, you had two sources of information, right? You had like Walter Cronkite, and you probably had another channel. And then the rest of it, was like you know howdy doody and some other random stuff that people did, and then most of the time they went outside. Um, yeah. Now, I mean, you have so many different sources of information with so many different agendas, that you know the genie's out the box, right? I mean, so we're not going to be able to figure out, I think, what's accurate or yeah. not. Um, so, I mean, that's not an answer to your question. Uh, I realize no. that, but, you know, but I, but I think it just kind of highlights the challenges of what's out there. So. To summarize it, I would say if people keep a uh, healthy level of skepticism, but also, I think, a healthy level of trust, then I think we'll get to where, you know, we're going to be able to get to in terms of society. Because right now there's just almost zero trust in in any government-related entity, um, especially, like I said, you know, with the political environment.
0: Yeah, you know, to me, it's like a, an Amazon rating You know, a natural bell curve would indicate that something be in the, you know, two to four range. And yet 90 percent are either one stars or five stars. Nobody looks at the three star review. Everyone wants to know why it sucks or why it's great. And people don't focus to the entire spectrum. And I think that I mean, I think that's a pretty recognizable threat to, you know, when you have a democracy is predicated on a well-educated electorate. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately, even so, when they're trying to become educated on these issues, they're getting bombarded, and it's like I'm not even sure where to start at this point. So yeah. I think it's uh, I think it's a factor of our society. Sir, uh, did you have any oh. final thoughts you wanted to, uh, Jeffrey? What did, did you want to? Pitch I wanted in? to jump
2: in on your in your section here. I think uh, when we're talking about the public and these news sources and uh, agencies not putting putting out different information, I think. Part of what you said, the back, going back to there was Cronkite and then there was your daily paper and the postman coming by and having a chat with you for a minute. But yeah. now because it's, there's also increased competition with all these news sources. Right. So they put things out that are theories. And then that adds to the distrust when it's disproven a week later.
1: Right.
2: Uh, but the fact is, they're, we're not getting fully baked news because everybody demands answers right. right now
0: yeah
2: and and then there's a competition to be the one that gives them the answer right now and so again as i say all, all the time we the people are the source of a lot of our issues um, where we we question everything we do way more questioning than we do trusting and that that balance the balance is off, and I appreciate you saying that.
1: Yeah, I, I guess no. Thank you, Jeff. I, I appreciate that. I was just going to say, I guess my parting thoughts are a lot broader than COVID. I think COVID is. I think it's a signal of a lot of issues that we have in society right now. It's just unfortunately, it's a pandemic that you know can kill people. But you know, I think getting back to the The underlying premise of why the four of us are here, you know all four of us decided for our own various reasons that we're going to serve our countries in the military, um, you know give that social contract um, you know between you know government and society and and you know on the other side of that, you know have a little bit more pride about you know giving back uh, and then moving forward. I think what struck me the the most about Iraq uh, when I was over there was I remembered an interview that uh, of a random like Iraqi citizen or something in which they were saying, hey, you know, how do you feel about democracy and it coming to your country and, you know, the blue fingers of voting and stuff like that and who you're going to vote for. And the guy was like, you know, I'm going to vote for my uncle because my uncle can get my toilet fixed, you know. And so I, I think what, what happens, you know, when you look at across the Middle East, you look at all these other countries, the one thing that I wish I could really uh, impart on, like, your average American citizen, because 99% of people don't serve in the military, is we have something very special here, you know? I mean, there's no place else in the world, you know, when you're looking at these other places in which, yeah, you can protest, uh, you know, police brutality, you know, or, you know, I guess the perception or differences of, you know, um, police brutality versus not and these other types of things or whatever you want to protest, you know, flag burning or whatever, um, and, and not get shot down with, you know, um, a 50 cal in the streets and stuff like that. Right. You know, like just like what's happening right now, I think, I don't know if it was Iran or which country in the Middle East recently where people were protesting. No, it was Nigeria. People were protesting and and they started shooting them. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think the the problem is a lot of us just take it for granted. You know, the the um, the specialness of the Constitution, the specialness of where we've come as a country, the specialness of the the ability of where we can go. Um, and so I think if if more people understand that, maybe they'd be a little bit more trusting, uh, and maybe we would um, realize the importance of what we have so we don't ruin it. Um, that, that's probably my biggest uh, takeaway and, and what I'd want to impart. So thank you again for having me. I couldn't thank you enough. I appreciate
0: oh, thank it. Thank you. Uh, we, we appreciate you being here. And uh yeah, I don't. I don't know what to say to that. You're 100% right. It's uh, you know, we do have something special here, and let's hope we can keep it. So, all right, folks. Well, we will see you next week. Don't forget to like and share all of our uh, YouTube videos and our podcast. Because I forget to say that every single time, but Jeff has hounded me to where I remember it. But make sure you go on there and leave some comments. Let us know what you think of the podcast and how we can fix it next time. We'll see you guys in a week. Bye-bye. Thank you, Dr. Jones. See you later. Thank you very much. Y'all have a good one. Be safe. And we're out.